Hi, this is Alistair Stewart. <laughs> this is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Caring Into The Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try and find the silver lining, or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brock. How are you? Hey, I'm fine. What's up with your life? Oh, all sorts. Uh, I just got back from Italy, and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, what happened to your arms? <laughs> I was... Yeah, it was a bad joke. Um, it was really good. It was the first holiday we've taken in a decade that didn't have a convention at the end of it. And um, for three weeks, we wandered around Italy. We went to all sorts of places. We went to Sardinia, which was like being pleasantly kidnapped. And it was a hotel so swanky that they had a golf cart that would take you up to your room if you didn't want to walk or couldn't. And we went to Rome for a few days, which was great. And we went to Florence for a few days, which was not something I saw coming. Florence is a very unassuming city. And then it goes, hey, I'm actually secretly awesome. Do you want some gelato? And the answer was always yes. And uh, Venice and Lake Como and Milan. And also we had... 24 hours in Naples, a city where I swear, and I swear I'm not making this up. I was about 15% certain we might we might be in a road traffic accident. At no point did I think we would die. But uh, there was a point where we first arrived in Naples where I thought, I think I'm about to be in a car crash. Because everything about roads is negotiable in Naples. Surfaces, markings, regulations, all of it. It's all negotiable. On the ride to the train station the day that we left... Hand on a stack of Bibles, Marguerite saw two couples on mopeds riding in tandem because the woman on the back was handing pizza slices to the other three. Okay. Out of a box that she was carrying. Uh, okay. Yes. But no, it was great. It was an incredibly good trip and very, very relaxing. And then uh, it was sufficiently good that the fact that we got food poisoning did not, in fact, blight the final week of the trip. Because when we went to Venice... We made a choice to be culinarily a little bit adventurous. And in Venice, one of the big things is this uh, salt cod mousse. It's like whipped pate. And we thought, what the hell? We'll give that a try. We like fish. We enjoy the process of eating. This will be great. We enjoy the process of eating. You two are regular poets. I know, right? But we had it the first night, and it was all right. We had it the second night, and it was all right. And then the third night, I started to feel a little bit sick. And um, without going into any unpleasant details, I can exclusively reveal that if you are going to have food poisoning in a foreign country, basically spending 36 hours in a hotel room in Como, where when you wake up once an hour, you can at least go, well, the view is nice, before awful things come out of places they should not come out of, is pretty much the best possible version of it. And then, just for shits and giggles, after all of that, I got a gum infection, which I'm still dealing with. So my face is slightly lumpy, and I also got a new tattoo. So it's been a very, very intensive couple of weeks, but it's been a very good couple of weeks. What a complicated time. I know, right? My body is going, what? I feel like you just told me that you actually were kidnapped and or part of a, a crime. <laughs> But you tried to couch it just a little bit. You're like, it felt like being kidnapped. But every part of that sounds like you were, in fact, kidnapped. So, Oh, I can provide you with, with welcome and much less worrying context. Don't worry. Um, basically, we stayed in this really nice resort in Sardinia, which is an hour outside every primary town. And we got there in the, at nighttime, and we, the resort had a car service. So we get into the back of this, like, mega Uber, this, like, baby limousine. And there's bottles of water and everything's lit with pink neon. And this dude drives off. And his status 
board in the central console is like a steroidal iPad. It's like 25 inches across. And I have no idea where we're going. I just know there's a hotel at the end of it. I have no idea how far away it is. I come from a 30-kilometer wide island. So my assumption is you can get most places in the car in about 25 minutes. And Sardinia is extremely rural. So there's not a tremendous amount of light anywhere. So about half an hour in, I found myself going, we've been traveling a long time. And then about 45 minutes in, I found myself going, we have been traveling a long time. Are we being kidnapped? I think I'm all right with us being kidnapped. I'll just not drink the water just in case. And then we rocked up at the resort. And the thing that truly made us feel like we, we were being pleasantly kidnapped was the fact that it was isolated. So it was basically, here are the, here are the rooms you will stay in. Here's the central hotel. Here's the dock. And here's the small private beach. And that was literally it. And we were there for about three days. And it was the first place that we went. And we come off a very intensive period of, you know, one to ten years of consistent work prior to that point. So it was a really nice place to forcibly power down. But about a day in, we did realize that because we didn't have a car, we couldn't really go anywhere. And it did feel a little bit like the kind of early days of the health industry, where a relative would send you to Mr. Kellogg's farm, and you would have lots of enemas. We had no enemas, uh, don't worry. But mostly just to sit and watch the ocean with a blanket over your knees and slowly discover whether or not you were hungry or whether you wanted to do anything. <laughs> and uh, the isolation was actually surprisingly lovely. It was really nice. Great. I love that. I love every part of that. I'm mostly stuck on how uh, a golf cart that takes me to my room if I don't feel like walking is the closest I could ever come to Futurama's hedonism bot. I feel like I would really exploit that. <laughs> Do you have a caring story for us today now that you are back from a holiday, mate? Yes, sir, I do. And the story I have for you today begins with a classic of European science fiction, um, Roadside Picnic by Arkady and Boris Strugatsky. Written in 1971, published in 1972. Has a very storied publication history, which involves the Politburo quite a lot. Uh, the novel is set in a politely post-apocalyptic future, where humanity has been visited six times by aliens in six different locations. The alien landing sites have all been changed, irrevocably, at basically the physical level. Physics works differently there. They are littered with the debris of the alien visit, and this debris is, un is impossible to understand and priceless. Stalkers are treasure hunters who go in to pull this material out and sell it to the highest bidder, and the novel follows the life of one stalker as he tries, and mostly fails, to do just that. This, of course, led to the Andrei Tartakovsky movie Stalker in the late 70s, which is justifiably regarded as an all-time classic, and also to the Stalker video games. And if you want a textbook example of how you can evolve a story across different mediums, turning intense Slavic sad boy hours, the novel, into a successful first-person shooter series is pretty much the textbook definition of how to do it. Now, all three versions of the story are great, and all three center on this idea of the vast cosmic horror of the aliens either not knowing we were there, not being able to perceive us, or just not caring. They're just having a roadside picnic, stopping off on their way somewhere else, and not caring about the litter they leave behind or the damage it may cause. And that brings us to Mars and String. On July 11th this year, 2022, the Mars rover Perseverance, which I always hear with a Bradfordian accent because beloved pop rock band Terrorvision have a number called Perseverance, which I grew up with, photographed some string on Mars. It is definitely not a rock. It's 
stringy. It's string-esque, if you will. Loops of frayed white material sitting there looking kind of organic. Words were clearly had. More so when the second photo of the area shown it had uh, blown away, or perhaps blown away in air quotes. But this story, like so many of the occasionally odd things which show up in, in astronomical circles, kind of crested and fell really quickly. But there's some interesting stuff about it, not the least of which are all the questions it raises. What was it? Was it a piece of Martian plant life, a grounded version of the snake-like object that astronaut Franklin Story Musgrave captured on film in Earth orbit way back on the 61st shuttle mission, STS-61? Yes, that's a thing. And yes, I've got a YouTube link. Or was it a piece of netting from the Perseverance's own parachute? Well, yes, it was. It was the netting. But somehow, that's actually a whole different kind of alien. Think about it. Perseverance is a robotic science car with its own personal little helicopter buddy making its way across an alien planet deserted aside from a few dozen other science cars and Dave, who knows what he did. It's alone up there, apart from Dave. And this is the second time it's witnessed the marks its own existence is left on the red planet, even as that existence leaves marks on our scientific knowledge. This is, to quote Dr. Owen Wilson, one of NASA's finest fictional astronauts, deep blue hero stuff. It's also terrifying, and so on brand for humanity, as our science robots litter in the exact same way the aliens do in roadside picnics. Who knows, maybe in millennia to come that piece of string will be some other civilization's puzzle. Or maybe it'll be what it is for us, a moment of art on a dead world. The chances of it being anything else are, after all, a million to one. Yes, yes. Stalker string. Wasn't ready for that one. Stalker string. Love that so much. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I I love stuff like that. The Musgrave snake. I'll send you the notes I've got for this one. The YouTube link is in there. I have no idea what it is, but he successfully photographed one of the oddest fucking things I've ever seen from low Earth orbit. It looks like a series of circles which are connected organically, and it could be thirty-five kilometers wide, or it could be a microbe moving in front of the camera. There is no way to tell other than that that's definitely a thing, and it's a thing you've not seen before. It's one of my favorite pieces of footage. I love that as a genre. Like, no idea. You've not seen it, though. This is yes. this is new to you, and perhaps to all of us. What it is doesn't matter. It's just a new thing to see. How many new things do you see in a day? Not that many. <laughs> right? Oh, I disgraced myself a few months ago. Bad Robot put out a four-part UFO documentary series, which for the most part was actually quite well-researched and quite well put together. Oh, okay. And it did some interesting stuff. It was basically spun off from the whole huge amount of declassified information that hit back in, I think, 2017. Sure. And touched on the fact that, you know, the Blink-182 guy was like, look, this is genuinely very weird. And scientists who I assume were also Blink-182 fans went, yeah, it is. (laughs) The the thing which really fucked me off about it was the same thing which always really fucks me off about ufology, which is that it's always two-thirds of a story. You get kind of two-thirds into an account, and then someone will go, and then some odd things happened. And I'm like, what? What odd things happened? Yeah! Tell me! The spectrum of what qualifies as odd is is pretty wide. Right? And it's always fucking John Keel-looking guys. It's always... We we could fill an episode with me ranting about the Mothman prophecies and and the damage that that, that that book has done. Also, how I can't watch the movie at night. Chapstick in your shoe. 
under the bed. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> but that thing that the original book does, which is just where about halfway through, Keel just goes, yeah, it's the 70s, so I'm going to write about a lot of 70s counterculture stuff and also occasional weird things. And what I'm going to try and do is map the 14 geography of the town rather than actually investigate the case. And I actually really like that he tried to do that. And at the same time, it makes me want to punch things because <laughs> it, it, it's he's encouraged and enabled generations, literal generations now, of ufologists to go, here's a strange thing, here's two pieces of proof. Ooh, see, there was a fire in that house 50 years ago. Yeah, look, that rock looks a bit like a dog. I hate you. I hate you so much. I'm really sorry about the spiral that this sent you into. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the Mothman prophecies, but I'm going to talk about the Mothman prophecies. But this this bad robot show uh, did that on a couple of episodes. But the thing that really that really just made me go was it used a lot of footage, uh, and some of it was gun camera footage from planes. Some of it was old style footage, and about one piece in three was attributed, and that's bad in and of itself. But about halfway through this, there is very very clearly an abandoned effect shot from Arrival, and. Uh, they used it in every episode, and every time they did, I was like, "Oh, you you know the huge like pebble shaped spacecraft in Arrival, yeah. and how they're they're so huge that clouds wrap around them." There is very very clearly a shot of one of those, and it's not used in the movie, but it's the exact same shape and it's the exact same size. And every time I was like, "Either that is the largest UFO ever captured on record with an unusually steady camera, or..." Or you fucks have just used a behind-the-scenes still from Arrival and you can't be bothered to attribute it, and I hate your faces. And that is... That's the type of parapsychology stuff that really kind of lights me up. You might be able to tell. I feel like I'm on your other podcast. <laughs> which is just you being mad about the Mothman prophecies 50 years later. <laughs> this week on Shut Up, John Keel! Welcome back to Chapstick in Your Shoe. <laughs> With B-Rock and the Buzzkill on the morning drive commute. <laughs> Our daytime talk show with three hours every morning. It's just you on this one subject until America rebels against you. And after a while, you realize that it never actually starts or finishes. They just fade me up and down. <laughs> I feel like you'd still have fun. Oh, I would. Good, good, good. So, yeah, I love these kind of delicious little moments of, huh? And I, I just, I, the thing I don't like is when people go, huh, plus one. And I'm like, no, huh, plus one, plus two. Mm. And the technical term for it is Musgrave's worm. Mus Musgrave's worm is, is one of my favorite examples of that. There's all sorts of them, too. There's, there's an account from, um, I think, Gordo Cooper, one of the original Mercury astronauts. It was either him or Scott thing. I can never remember his second name. One of them saw something which looked like it was alive in orbit. Huh. And uh, it was probably Sparks. But at the same time, it's that, is this weird? Yeah. Do we understand it? No. Are we going to document it? Yeah. Cool. And that I'm absolutely there for. I love that kind of stuff. Fabulous. Uh, I do have a, so I do have a, um, carrying into the void for this one, which isn't, you know, seriously though, John Keel, why? I promise. I, 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 I wasn't asking because I kind of thought that maybe your caring was just the self-care you were doing by yelling about the Mothman prophecies. I, like, I, think, I think that he's working through something live on air here, and like I do not want to interrupt for ask, by asking for a silly little poem right now. <laughs> Alistair's going through something. Um, the, the caring is the way they have for it is this. Art is what it was created to be. 
Art is what it is perceived, both as and when it is perceived, and who it's perceived by, and where it's perceived. Art is a chimera, a quicksilver concept whose purpose and goal is crystal clear to everyone, each facet of the crystal reflecting back what they want or need or have to see, as well as just a little of the inside. Be the crystal. Be art. Be a piece of string on Mars and all that implies. Be trash. Be alien life. Be everything you can and want to and should be. Make future archaeologists bewildered and terrified and thrilled. Be art, my friends. Be art. Be the piece of string on Mars you want to see in the world is is oddly calming to me today. Good, 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 good. I like that. I like that. Thank you. No, thank you. Good. Yes. We're going to do a odd space double feature today. Um, oh, those are my favorite. So uh, August, uh, NASA tweeted out uh, a recording that they describe as it's it's about 30 seconds long. It is the sound of a black hole. Obviously, they're like, look, you guys are jerks that are always like, you know, there there can't be sound in space because it's a vacuum, and you you mostly use that to complain about the Star Warses. Like, yes. <laughs> well, it turns out some of these star clusters have dense enough gas, it uh, it sort of overfills the space. It it pushes space out of space, uh, and and if it if it becomes that sort of thick, like a fog around something, sound can actually travel. Um, what it does mean is that uh, planets can make sounds, and so can a black hole. So I am sending it to you in our chat. Uh, it, it popped out to me because uh, Libby C. Watson uh, retweeted it with, I love when NASA just tweets something like, Hey, check this out. Space sounds like the wailing of billions of souls trapped forever in hell. They are calling for your blood. Wow. Uh, and that is kind of what it sounds like. So uh, 30 seconds here. I'll, I'll give, it a, give it a listen. Okay, what blows my mind about that is it's actually slightly more upsetting the second it ends. It is, yes. It it it's weirdly silly. It has a very Doctor Who warble effect where you're just like, this is somebody trying their best at what just they think space might sound like. But it also has this effect where the pitch is constantly increasing, like a, a tea kettle uh, boiling. Like there is there is a constant pitch increase, uh, sort of going behind it. I. I'm like, oh, this was designed in a lab to make me feel odd. I, I feel bad about it, whatever that is that just my brain felt, because uh, it feels like I'm being perceived by the black hole. <laughs> I, I must confess, my first response to that was somewhere the, the remaining members of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop have gone, nailed it! Get in! Yeah. No, they were right. Turns out they were right. Uh, space sounds silly uh, when it's most threatening. <laughs> uh, the uh, caring for this one is this. Uh, we all get too full some days. It piles up on the inside and you realize, oh no, I ran out of space long ago. Sometimes years ago, sometimes what feels like a millennia. But you and I, you were the type to always force it, to make a little more space somewhere, shove something in, invent an impossible new hallway, scrunch a little more room. 
but we can hit a limit, not the limit that others have, that normal limit, that thing that's healthy that we could avoid like the plague. No, sometimes we hit the actual fuck limit, and there is no circumnavigating it. There is no way to get around it as much as we try, and when that happens, we might be the last to know. Uh, but I know you remember the times where others heard it long before you knew, uh, long before you knew what you were even listening for. The sound of a limit broadcast in all directions, vibrations felt deep beneath the surface and rattling the structure of time itself. When your emptiness is full of the echoes of capacity, just know what it is that they're trying to say. Take a fucking holiday, mate. That's beautiful. I, you were like, here's a, here's a whole intro about taking a holiday, and I'm like, mine is about how space sometimes needs you to do the same, so I'm glad that we took that one full circle with uh, some squiggly sounds in the middle <laughs> and some Mothman. That, that is absolutely beautiful. Good job. <laughs> do you have any self-care for us this week? Because <laughs> I think we need it. Yeah, I, I do, actually. Um, you know how a dog has to turn around three times before it sits down? Sure, yes. <laughs> Sometimes we have to do the same. And it, in my experience, it's always a little different. It's super easy right now to punish yourself for non-standard behavior. Hell, politicians on both sides of the Atlantic and shitty sitcom writers and children's authors are working very hard on convincing us that non-standard behavior is the problem. It's not the problem. Rich, rich <laughs> white people are always the problem. Always. Um, so, I... Basically, what this comes down to is after a while, it becomes really hard to know what will work for you, to know what you need to do. I'm, I say this coming from a place of epic privilege because I'm a cishet mid-40s white dude with a college education and a job. you know. And if I find myself going, I'm not, sure, not quite sure how to deal with things, I can only imagine what people who in the groups that you know, polite society have decided are evil, no other reason than they are different, feel like. I'm working very hard to not say two names out loud, which will get us sued. But those of you who, <laughs> but the, the, those of you who listen, you know who I'm talking about, and you know what I feel about them, and just how far they can fuck off. So, are you hurting anyone doing what you need to do at the end of your day, including yourself? If you are, find alternatives. If you aren't, do it. Do what you need to do. Turn around three times. Watch the sad bits of NYPD Blue to get the cry you know you need out. Out. Bake bread at midnight. Whatever you need to do, chumrades, do it. As long as you're not hurting anybody. Because that's how we get through. What do you got? I kind of want to bake bread at midnight now. I don't think I've ever baked bread. It's it's pretty cool, Brock. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty fun. Is it better at midnight? Uh, I am generically of the opinion that freshly baked bread is one of God's perfect creatures, and it's good at any time of day or night. You know what? Fair. Okay. So because I am what my partner refers to as a yeastivore, <laughs> and I'm, I'm aware I have some skin in this particular game. But no, baking, late night baking is always a good time. All right. I got to get into that one. Yeah, it's worth it. Um, my self-care for right now is hiking, um, but like I don't hike. Uh, I've, it, my wife is dragging me out to do some hiking with our dog. We found some nice trails that are just close enough to us that if we want to opt out of lunch and um, pop off for... 45 minutes and, and let the dog sniff a bunch of leaves we're we're doing some of that but i'm i'm what i'm finding is i just need to have that sort of walkabout where there's uh <laughs> nothing that i can nothing that anyone's gonna ask me to do yeah uh, and so uh i 
I realize that the same thing that I'm being afforded by uh, the hiking with the dog in an actual hike situation, uh, I'm now getting in my real life because um, one of the best coffee shops in my city is right out the front door of my office. Uh, it is directly across the street. It's normally where I have people meet me to talk about stories and things. I, I spend a lot of time over there. It just closed. So the nearest coffee shop is now a few blocks away instead of at the bottom of the stairs. Um, and so I've been doing a bunch of small walks to and from that coffee shop now. And uh, I'm not spending time there. I don't know everyone there in the same way that it felt like I was coming in to cheers uh, <laughs> at, at the old place. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's this 15 to 20 minute period every time I go where I don't have my phone. No one talks to me. Uh, I, I say the name of a hot bean uh, juice, and uh, then I give them money and I leave. And uh, that walk, it's weird how 20 minutes of that will completely change my day, just like everything else I'm doing with grounding myself in the present and with reality that's there. So hiking. Hiking as a term cuts out a lot of people. It doesn't have the accessibility it probably should, because who can really... Yeah, I, I can barely hike, much less anyone that isn't a fully ambulatory mid-30s white guy. Not that my ambulatory nature is that great, but um, there's, a, there's a privilege that comes with actual hiking. There's something very joyful about uh, making your own hike in the day, which I probably don't even need to walk to accomplish. But uh, the idea of hike being to get the fuck away from things... Uh, hike off. That's my new fuck off. That's what I'm just hike gonna, off. Yeah, that's my self care. Hike off, mate. <laughs> so. I love it. Fucking love it. What's your sharing into the void this week? <laughs> um, I've been spending some time with the Predator franchise recently. And, yes. And the, yes. Th the thing I've discovered is the Predator franchise is fucking weird. Everyone likes the first one, which has actually become the least interesting one as time's gone on. Like, 20 years later, people have realized Predator 2 is quite fun, and Predator Predators is genuinely great, and Aliens vs. Predator is quite fun, and AVP Requiem and The Predator are also films that people made. <laughs> genuinely, Aliens vs. Predator has one of my favorite jokes in it. It's about half an hour in, and uh, as the stone plinths rise around them, the female chief of security looks across at Dr. Sexy and goes, what did you say this room was called again? And he looks at dead in the eyes and goes, sacrificial chamber. And the last thing you see is basically her with this expression, which is, I, 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 every, every choice that has led me here has been bad. And then they all die. Uh, and for some reason, I always find that very funny. Now, I, I don't mean to dump on those other movies, because God knows art is hard, but the quality chart for this this franchise is a seismograph. It, it, it's just up and down all over the place. And it's why I was so happy to see Prey is so fucking good. Prey is, is the new Predator movie, which is also a prequel to every previous Predator movie. It's set in 1719, and it stars Amber Midthunder, who is a fantastic actress, who some of you may have seen as one half of a binary mutant in the incredibly weird and wonderful TV show Legion a few years ago. Uh, she plays Naru, a Comanche woman who wants very badly to be a hunter and is struggling against what her society expects her to do at the same time as a predator arrives and proceeds to basically kill an awful lot of people. It is vastly inventive and fun and smart, and uh, it was recorded with a Comanche language track as well. And if you can, watch it with that. Uh, it's been directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who did 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is my favorite one of the Cloverfield movies, and it has that same sense of quiet and scale. The script's by a guy called Patrick Eisen. It's clever and tight, and it folds a surprising amount of nuance into the Predator, especially the 
the realization, which isn't so much a spoiler, that hits quite early on, which is that this predator is adolescent. He has a lot of feelings, and most of them are stabby. But the thing which you really take away from this is Amber Midthunder, because she's fucking great. She's smart and driven and has huge stage presence and has an amazing dog throughout the movie. And it's just a really good time. So if you haven't seen it yet, pray. It's really worth it. Yeah, I'll, I'll double down on yours. Um, for uh, last year, for an extended period, I uh, acquired absolutely everything I could find from the Alien or Predator franchises, but especially anything where they crossed over. Not so much with each other, because I'd really knocked a lot of that out before, but there's nothing in the world that people love to do more than cross over another IP with them. So, like... Aliens versus Ghostbusters, Predator versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Popeye versus Xenomorphs. Like these things are all out there. Uh, and then they lead you into other Ghostbusters versus Mars attacks. Like the, the amount of comic book and novel crossover that starts from this place that just becomes ludicrous uh, <laughs> is so much fun. And I've had so much fun in that space. So, like, I wish that there was like a random number generator version of the algorithm to like be like hey just give me show me show me what aliens cross over with uh and uh and and make me read that comic book today like there's there are no wrong answers there's nothing that i, I i've encountered here that wasn't just good glorious fun uh pr uh predator versus archie uh, just actually a pretty incredible one. Uh, that's a great place to get started. That's uh, just a hell of a thing. So like Aliens versus Predator, I remember seeing that in a theater and being like, so wait, sorry, they brought the alien and the Predator to Earth at the same time. And instead of putting them where people are, they put them in a pyramid at the North Pole, as far away as you can be from people. Okay, that, that seems like that. It was in high school, and I was like, I don't know. I, I think that was the first time I reverse-engineered a uh, movie by committee. I was like, I don't, <laughs> why, why would they do th – oh, budgets. Okay, maybe oh. that was it. Uh, but, yeah, there's there, – if you want to go down a rabbit hole of unlimited creativity, uh, crossover comic books and novels stemming from uh, these two franchises as a starting point, go – Go have some fun with it. And and I love that they encourage the sort of fun where, like, Prey is a very serious movie that's also very fun. Yes. And if you watch that back-to-back -back with reading Predator versus Archie, it will not create a distance or a disconnect. Like, it all belongs in the same universe together, from the stupidest thing to the most serious thing. <laughs> and I, I do enjoy I do enjoy that there is a continuity. And, like, whatever I'm signing up for with Predator... It will be Predator. There's no way around it. So, um, yeah, doubling down on yours. Let's do it. <laughs> Fantastic. And and yeah, I'm I'm right right there with you. You know exactly what you get. There will be a tall, stabby villain. A a, a large, invisible lad will kill some things. It will always be a good time. So, speaking of good times, uh, if you enjoyed the show, and we do, please consider um, leaving a review on your podcatcher of choice, or if you have the social medias and you enjoy using them, perhaps you have a blog, I have a blog, uh, you could write up the show over there, uh, or tweet about an episode that you particularly liked, or just, you know, if you liked an episode, and you know someone who you think would also like it, send them the link. We love having new listeners come in. 
Uh, we also love our merchandise, which has been produced by Jordan Shively, one of the originators of the show, a uh, two-fisted graphic designer, an all-around badass human being. There's all kinds badass. of... Badass. Uh, there's all manner of stuff over at Void Merch, not just for us, but for a whole raft of other authors and creatives and shows. So if you do get the chance and you feel like uh, upgrading your T-shirts or notebooks or stickers, Jordan's got you covered. Brock, where can folks find you? I'm Brock Wilbur on all platforms at Brock Wilbur. Uh, where can people find you, Mr. Stewart? They can find me in a variety of places. Um, I am at Alistair Stewart on Twitter. My website is alistairstewart.com and I write a uh, pop culture newsletter which releases weekly called The Full Lid, edited by my amazing partner Marguerite, which is full of stuff which has either amused me or interested me in the last week. The most recent issue was about Werewolf by Night, the really very lovely Marvel special event and also the best cover version of One Winged Angel from Final Fantasy VII anyone will ever produce. <laughs> and uh, that's free to sign up. You can sign up at the website. So thank you as ever to Brock, who is amazing. Uh, I, I, love, uh, I, I love that I get to come on the show and, and talk to you about stuff. And thank you very much to, to all of you for listening. And remember, keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many. And we'll see you next time in the void. In the void. In the void. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. <laughs>